there'll be a couple of us from the, from the group that went down uh, giving a, a testimony this morning of, of, of our trip. Uh, but I'd like to ask, first of all, how many of you know what, what is the Angola missions trip? Uh, quite a few of you. That's, that's good. Well, I, I thought for years this was a really well-kept secret. Uh, so I'm going to give you, a, a, try to hurry here, but give you uh, what, what we were doing as we went to Angola uh, this year, and several have gone in past years. Um, Angola Prison is a maximum security prison in near Baton Rouge, Louisiana, uh, one of the largest in the country. And for, for most of its existence, if you went to uh, this prison, you were not getting out. Uh, this, was, this was for the worst of the worst, and that's the way the prison was for many years uh, until a, a born-again warden uh, became the warden at Angola. And uh, his testimony is phenomenal, uh, so if, if you ever get a chance to hear it, it it's really phenomenal how he changed things. Uh, what changed him was one of the first things he had to do as the warden was... Uh, follow through on an execution. And he said that he did it pretty much pretty callously because this was someone who deserved to die. And, but, but five seconds after that man died, he said what his, his mother had told him, you are probably the last person those people are going to see. You must make sure they know about heaven and hell and how they can make sure they're going to heaven. Uh, and it just changed his life and it changed the life of the prison. And um, about 10 years ago, uh, he teamed up with uh, Awana Ministries. Most of you think of Awana, you think of children, which it is. Uh, we have Awana here at our church. Uh, but Awana, about 10 years ago, started a program called Returning Hearts uh, Celebration. And what that is, they, they take children who ordinarily would not get to uh, be with their parents uh, especially the inmates, and for a day they bring them in, and it's like a, a carnival-like atmosphere where they have games, they have uh, food, they have prizes, they have rides, it, just everything that you can imagine for a fun day for the fathers and their children. But they can't do it without volunteers. Now, somebody has to go to help make this day happen, and that's where we come in. Okay, this year... Um, there were uh, over around 380 inmate fathers. Uh, there were over 850 children, and there were over 650 volunteers, okay? And I'm just gonna give you quickly uh, what the volunteers do. Um, and then we're gonna have uh, Lonnie come up, and we're gonna have uh, Dan come up. Uh, but this was what was, uh, what the things you could do. You could assist with games. They call it games assistance. Uh, where you would be in charge of a game station and the, the fathers and their children would come and play the games and win prizes and then there's a store later just like Awana. Um, in that group we had Nikki Winters, Lonnie Kopcha, and Bob Shannon. Uh, then there are the family assistants uh, who basically chaperone the, the, the parents and their kids and that was and, and if you're here, stand up, and then just stay standing until uh, we're done. So that was Nikki, Lonnie, and Bob. Uh, Pastor Vaughn, Bob Steckbeck, Joanne Steckbeck, Amy Stewart, Tim Taylor, uh, Dan and Nancy Eby, and Carol and I 
uh, were the uh, family assistants. Nobody's standing up. What? <laughs> was there something I said? They must not have understood. They're too busy watching behind me. And then there's a guardian assistant. There are people who who bring these children and stay for the day because, like from Baton Rouge, it's an hour drive for us to even get there. So the guardians bring the kids, they stay there, and then we have people that minister to them there. Uh, Connie Benage did that this year. And then there are relief assistants also who, if you need a break, um, and, and one thing God did this year was he gave us excellent weather. They said it was the best weather ever. Uh, so I don't know if it was because I was there or what, but we got really good weather, but normally it's very hot. So they have people assisting. If you need a break, they give you a break. If you need water, they're running around with water, those kinds of things. So, uh, Lonnie's going to come at this time and share, uh, what she did. And then Dan's going to come and then I'll come back and wrap it up. Well, Pastor Vaughn joked about staying up here for 20 minutes and I was ready to turn down the offer to talk, but honestly, I could probably talk for an hour, um, this is really hard just watching that. I'm already getting choked up. It was an amazing experience. And I'm really here because I'd love to take a busload down next year. It was just an awesome opportunity. So thank you, Pastor Vaughn, for bringing it to us because um, I'm going as many years as I can go. It was great. Um, I got a renewed love for Awana. I will be honest, some Sunday nights, I'm like, why do my kids love it so much? And they really want to be here. But let me tell you, I had no idea Awana had this, this much of an outreach and what they did. But um, it, my, I don't even know where to begin. I'll just say, um, first of all, I probably cried more those four days than I have in a long time. I laughed a lot, too. I had a great time rooming with Nikki and Amy Stewart. We had a blast. So, I mean, the whole weekend was, there's, there's a lot going on um, and a lot of, a lot of different emotions. Um, my part there was, like um, he said, the games. And um, that was awesome. You know, obviously seeing the kids and the parents or the, the dads be together. Um, my game was pool, so it was just a tabletop pool game. And a lot of the kids had never played pool before. So they're like, Dad, help me. Dad, help me. I don't know what to do. And the dads are trying to be all macho, come around them, you know, and hold them, hold, you know, wrap their arms around them and with the pool stick. So that was pretty neat. Um, and just seeing their faces. And so that part, you know, obviously that was just an amazing part of, of the Saturday, of the celebration and the reunions. But I think what touched me the most was my judgmental attitude of prisoners, of inmates, of people that have done these horrific crimes. You know, we hear about it on the news and you hear they've, you know, they're getting life in prison. Um, and I think, good. They deserve it. They need to be there. Let them stay there. Get them away from everybody else. What kind of person would do something like that? And then going there and being in a worship service with them Friday evening, um, they're standing praising God with their arms raised. Um, not all of the inmates there are Christians, but thousands of them are. Um, and they've been forgiven for what they've done. Um, it just... It really broke me, um, my spirit, and, um, you know, I grew up in Lancaster County in a very conservative Christian home. Where would I be? I, we were in Baton Rouge for two days, and um, Baton Rouge is not Lancaster County. <laughs> so, you know, who am I to judge where I would be if I didn't have my upbringing? Um, so, you know, these men have made changes. Just two things. Um, 
there was a quote from an inmate, and he said, sorry, <laughs> the, judge gave me a tr- um, the judge gave me life in prison. He didn't know he was giving me eternal life. And um, so many of them are just thankful uh, for what R- uh, Ward and Burl Kane has done and the Awana program that brings us opportunity to bring the kids there. Um, and then the other thing was just, this was neat, Friday, there was a man, I think he might have been there, I know he was there Friday morning blowing up water balloons for this carnival, and it was an inmate. Um, lunchtime, he was still there blowing up water balloons. Friday evening when we left, he was still blowing up water balloons. I think he was there Saturday morning when we got there. And at one point I stopped, I think it was around lunchtime, I went over and me and another volunteer, I didn't know him, was another man from another group, and we were just talking a little bit with him and he was just smiling and he was singing to himself and just very joyful and I don't know what brought it up but he just looked at us and he said, what's joy? What's joy to you? And I didn't say anything right away and the man beside me said, Jesus others yourself. And he said, yourself? Forget yourself. He goes, you don't, you don't mean anything. He said, it's Jesus owns you. And he went on to talk about that and um, his change um, in heart and his life with Christ. So I mean, this it's a prison where you would think you're going and there should be no hope and just despair and depression and yet there's so much joy um, and men that now do have hope. And with, um, there's a whole nother section, part of this that we didn't even talk about, the Malachi Dads program. And you know, that's giving these men new hope to um, learn how to be better fathers. That even though they're in prison, they can still have um, a renewed relationship with their kids and hopefully stop the cycle of crime. Um, so it was great. So if you can go next year, I will definitely be there. <laughs> hey, how uh, I didn't know what to expect uh, when we went down there. We had, I thought it looked like a pretty neat ministry. We had seen the, uh, the videos uh, here, I think, uh, about a year ago or something. And, uh, you know, for myself, I can't, I couldn't imagine being in prison and not being able to see my, uh, my children and stuff. And uh, to see the, uh, you know, the children come to their, their dads in excitement to see them. Um, I just thought that'd be a, a pretty neat uh, ministry to be a, be a part of. And I, I guess I have to confess that my desire to go down there wasn't all spiritual. Um, I like to ride motorcycle, and I'd seen about the Natchez Trace Trail. And the problem with riding a motorcycle is you need a destination. You just don't go out and drive around, you know. So uh, when I saw where the Natchez Trace Trail goes and how close it was to Angola, I thought, man, this would make a nice motorcycle trip. So we actually left on a, on a Thursday uh, prior to the uh, – we left on a Saturday prior to the, uh, the event. Anyhow, um, we didn't know what to expect when we went, went down there. Uh, it, it ended up being a very uh, meaning, meaningful uh, ministry and a, and a special time uh, for my wife and I. And uh, it was also a good time to get to know uh, the other uh, people here from the church. Um, on Friday, we uh, down there. We took a tour of the uh, of, of the prison and uh, learned more about the history and, and the ministry there. And then Friday evening, they had a church service down there, and some of the inmates uh, graduated from the uh, the Malachi uh, Dads program down there. And that this, just the history there is incredible about how God God's really worked there in that prison and uh, changed changed lives. 
And uh, anyhow, so Saturday, uh, my wife and I, we were a family assistant. Uh, we got introduced to a uh, five five children. Uh, there were four four girls, and uh, the youngest one was a boy about eight years old. And uh, so we took them into that arena there, where they actually they one of the girls was uh, the inmate was her father, but the rest of them uh, were the inmate was their uncle. And the old the oldest girl was about 16 years old. So you don't really you just kind of you want the relationship to develop between the inmate and uh, and the children that come there, so you don't interfere or get involved too much. Uh, you kind of follow them around and uh, let them do what they want to do. Um, <clears throat> but the uh, the little boy uh, Edwin, the youngest one, he was about eight years old. Uh, we they had a little uh, trailer there. Uh, where uh, they were showing uh, a video about about creation and about dinosaurs, what happened to dinosaurs and this kind of stuff. We went by there in the morning, and, and one of the men there uh, gave us a, like a ticket. You didn't need a ticket to get in, but you know. Anyhow, little little Edwin, he wanted to go back to that later in the afternoon, and so uh, we went in there, and um, it was kind of interesting. The in, inmate didn't know. Uh, he thought maybe he would just sit down. I said, no, I don't think you were supposed to do that because I don't know where he would have gone or what he would have done. But So anyhow, he, he went in with us too, but uh, they heard, we, it was a very good video, about 15 minutes uh, you know, about creationism, and there was uh, a man there who gave a uh, message of salvation and everything. And Then after that, we went over to the final closing at, uh, at the rodeo arena there, and their uh, short message was given about salvation, and then there was an opportunity primarily for the, uh, for the dads or the inmates to talk to their children about salvation, those that were believers. Well, we were on this long bench, and the inmate was at the other end, and I was at the total other end of this uh, bench with this uh, young boy, Edwin. And uh, so they gave us these little cards uh, about how to give this plan of salvation. Anyhow, I, I did do that with, uh, with Edwin, and he, uh, he expressed a desire to accept Christ as his Savior. And... Uh, so I was thankful for that. Um, you know, I'm not sure what kind of follow-up there can be, and uh, we just, you know, only the Lord knows uh, what took place there. And uh, I just thank, you know, I was thankful for the opportunity to go and to uh, to pray with Edwin there. I'm not sure why Pastor picked three of the longest-winded people in the group to do this and then gave us 10 minutes, but... Uh, anyway, I, just in, in wrapping it up, there, there's really no reason why any of you can't go next year. We've got a bikers group going, so any of you bikers out there who, you know, you want to go, uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure they'll volunteer to take you down. Um, uh, but anyway, just, just quickly, uh, Carol and I went down not knowing what to expect either. I mean, Pastor Dick had prepared us as much as we, we thought he could. When we got there, they told us, if you want to stay together, ask for a big family because they need more help. So that's what we did. We went up. We said, we, we want to stay together. We'll take a big family. And I saw this group coming across the parking lot, and I thought, well, that must have been a busload. That was a family. Um, we, got, we got two dads and seven kids, and four of the kids didn't show up. Um, and then an hour into it, the one dads came over to me and said, they just called my name again. I'm thinking, more? And he went back, and it was his nephew who had four more kids. So there for a while, there were three dads, 11 kids, and Carol and I and another assistant. Um, but I say that to tell you, one of the things that they're trying to do is stop the cycle of 
parents and children following in their parents' steps. We, we, the two guys, one guy was the dad to some of them and, and their uncles, and so it's, it's just kind of mixed up. This guy was a nephew, and he had three or four kids. While we were there, we met another uncle uh, who was there in prison, and they're all lifers. Um, and they're trying to stop that, that pattern. And, and uh, Dan talked about the, the, the final closing. After you go through this all day, uh, you have this final closing where you're in the arena where they have the rodeo, and uh, they give the, the message, and then the dads get a chance to talk to their kids. Our two dads, I don't believe, were born again because they didn't seem interested in doing that. Um, however, they got the gospel message. Uh, we, we were told that tw- at least 22 people made professions for Christ that weekend. Um, but at the end, they bring everybody into the middle of the arena. Every, all the kids get balloons, and they, they launch this balloon where everybody lets one go. Then the dads have to stay in the arena and the kids have to leave with the assistants. Um, and at the end of the day, sorry, at the end of the day, it was so neat to see. We had, we had kids from six up till teenagers. Uh, and at the end of the day, Carol was walking out and the, the six-year-old and the eight-year-old were holding her by the hand. Uh, and these kids just, just bonded with us the whole day. And so when we left, the, the dads had to stay back. We walked out with the kids, made sure they get on the right bus. Um, just, just, it's just tremendous. And at the end of the day, you're also hugging these inmates, not knowing what they did. I mean, these guys could have been the guys that they made the movie Texas Chainsaw Massacre because of, you know, and you're hugging them. And when you're there, the only reason you know that it's a prison as you look around you and you see the wire uh, and you see the guards. Other than that, it's, it's a totally safe environment uh, and God is doing a work there. So next year, uh, did we double it this year, Pastor Dick? I, I, I think we doubled the amount that went. 13 went this year. Next year, we'd like to at least double that. Um, and then um, if, if we do that in like, I think it's about four years, the entire church will have to go if we keep doubling. <laughs> Okay, so you can prepare now. Okay, thank you very much. Well, this is a summer of missions trips. Scott Boyer led a team from LBC to the Philippines. And uh, when Scott preaches at the end of July, Scott, take a few minutes and share about that trip, okay? And so we'll hear from him. Uh, tomorrow, Lauren, where are you? Lauren Shambal, stand up. Lauren's back there. She leaves for Africa with a team from Lancaster Bible College. So we're going to pray for her in just a moment. And also tomorrow, uh, our team from the church uh, that goes up to New York City and uh, spends uh, five days up there doing a vacation Bible school up in Queens. They'll be leaving the Nyers. Uh, Jordan Gates. Is Jordan here? Okay. And... Uh, Jamie Query, a girl from our school, so there's four of them. They'll head out this afternoon up to New York City. So we need to be praying for Lauren and those from our church. By the end of this year, I counted, we'll have had 35 of our people on a missions trip. That's exciting, church. 35 of our people have been someplace from our church on a missions church, either in the United States or to a foreign country. That's exciting. We're moving in the right direction as far as our missions. Let's pray, and then we'll receive our offering. Father, we do want to just stop and thank you, Father, for the opportunity that Mount Calvary Church has to 
be able to go out into the world. Lord, not only here in our Jerusalem, as even we think of our basketball camp this week, where a hundred children will be here on the property, and Lord, the gospel will be given on Friday night. And again, we pray for that, that some of those boys and girls might come to know Jesus Christ. I think of Lauren as she heads off with the, the group from Lancaster Bible College to Africa. Lord, give them a great week, a, a little over a week, Lord. Use them in a mighty way, Father. Give them safety. And Lord, may they be able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we uh, think of Andrew and Lauren, who are already uh, out on the mission field, the Sheards uh, children. Lord, just continue to watch over them and keep them safe, Father. Lord, we think also of uh, our group, the, the four from our church who are heading this afternoon to New York City. Uh, to work with the Vacation Bible School there in Queens. We pray that you give them a great week, and as they reconnect with boys and girls that are there every year, may they continue to build the gospel into their life. And Lord, we pray that as they share the gospel through Vacation Bible School this week, that boys and girls and even parents will come to know Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, thank you for the privilege this morning that we have to give through our offering. Lord, to be able to help to put people on the mission field. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. It was fun uh, for us to, the students, this was the first time they were able to see the video. So to, to reminisce of the week, um, our team leader's name was Scott Jackson, and he challenged us that the first question that we're going to get when we come back is, hey, how was Costa Rica? And he challenged us to, in 30 seconds, put out what's most important first. Because if someone asks you that and you don't think about it, what I'm going to say is that it was hot, the food was good, we had fun, you know, things like that. Uh, but he challenged us to, in the first 30 seconds, put out what, how we had seen God in Costa Rica. And so I'm going to go down through the line here and ask each of these students how Costa Rica was. And they're going to give you their first 30 seconds of how they saw God in Costa Rica uh, as we go here. So Sarah, how was Costa Rica? Is it on? Oh, it is on. Uh, Costa Rica for me was uh, just completely amazing. God taught me so many things. And just one of those is, uh, I think it's the Tico, oh, you can't see it. The Tico youth group that we were with, we were all just sitting there. And we were all singing How He Loves. And it was an acapella. And they were singing it in Spanish. And we were singing it in English. And just that we had that culture barrier and the language barrier but we can still just praise that one God together. Sarah, go for it. Tell us, how was Costa Rica? Okay. Um, Costa Rica for me was absolutely amazing as well, and it was really life-changing. Um, one of the things that we had the opportunity to do was go to an Indian reservation, which was kind of in the middle of a jungle. So that was kind of out of everyone's comfort zone, but um, it was there that God really taught me that he stretches his to the depths of the world, and even out in the middle of the jungle, we could see his love and power. And especially um, during the middle of a storm in the jungle when the electricity went out, and we were just all praising God when it was lightning and thundering over our heads, and we were all really scared, but just seeing God's power and his love and his protection over us was amazing during that experience. Noah, how was Costa Rica? Uh, Costa Rica for me was, uh, the trip was very unpredictable, and through that, I believe that God was um, telling us to put our trust in Him, which 
was a challenge for all of us. And um, another way that I saw God this week was when we were in the church service, and we didn't really know what we were, what the people were saying, but it was amazing how God is a um, a global God, and sometimes we always think He's just an American God, and it's, it was amazing to see um, how He is a great God, and yeah. Tyler, tell us, how was Costa Rica? Uh, well, mine's sort of the same as Noah, but it was just cool because sort of by default we think of God as like an American God who speaks English, and just through like spending time with their kids' ministry and then their youth group there and then the church service there and then the pastor out at the Indian Reservation, it was cool to see that, you know, God is not just God here, but he's God there and he's God everywhere, so... Alexa, how was Costa Rica? <laughs> Costa Rica was amazing for me. I got to see that people give everything they have to strangers and not only to the people that they love, and that even though we were in different languages, we all serve the same God. Caitlin, tell us, how was Costa Rica? Okay, um, well, as almost everyone here has said, Costa Rica was amazing. And, um, like, I don't think I can truly describe how awesome it was. But I feel so privileged that God chose me to be part of this team. And as some people have said, everything didn't go according to plan. And we constantly asked Dana, what's going on? And she would say, I don't know. I don't know. Like, the whole trip. And it was just really cool because we got to see God's creation, how big he was. And that was just in one small little city in a little country. And God holds the entire world in his hands. And even though things didn't go according to plan, we were in the situation where we were for a reason, and God worked it all out for his glory. Jordan, how was Costa Rica? Uh, well, Costa Rica was really awesome, and um, I believe that God uh, brought me on this trip because he wanted me to draw closer to him, and before I went, I wasn't spending enough time in prayer, but um, as we went, I started praying, and one thing we prayed for was that uh, God held out the rain for our trip because it was Costa Rica's raining season, so every time we would go somewhere, like we were done doing something, like it would just downpour, and it was just amazing to see how he answered his prayers. And when I was down there, I made a great friend, and he inspired me to um, uh, live for God, just the way, just seeing his love for God, and it was just amazing. In Ephesians six nineteen, it says, "Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel." for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And that's uh, my prayer as I come back, that as people ask me how Costa Rica is or was, uh, and even in my daily conversation, that God would be the first thing that would roll off of my lips in whatever situation it is, whether with believers or unbelievers, uh, but that I would fearlessly proclaim and make known that gospel that we have been entrusted with. Uh, and so that's one thing that God really challenged me with. Uh, the other thing, as Caitlin mentioned, uh, oftentimes I was asked the question, hey, what's going on? When are we doing this or what's next? And nine times out of 10, maybe 19 times out of 20, my answer was, I don't know. Um, God 
seems to use mission trips to challenge me in that way. I am a kind of person who's a planner. I like to have things planned out and be in control of what's happening. And um, on these situations, I'm not at all. And it's been good for God to stretch me out of my comfort zone and say, you know what? Um, you might not be in control. You might not know what's planned. Things might not go the way that we have planned them. But I can trust God who is in control and does know what's planned. Uh, and, and so, again, God continues to challenge me in that regard uh, every time we're on a missions trip. The last thing that we're going to have the students share here is uh, just one thing they're going to do differently as we come back or one way that God has changed them and, and things that they want to do differently as we come back. Okay, so going into this missions trip, I had this whole idea of how we were all going to travel like thousands of miles and make a big difference and change everyone's life and spread the gospel with so many people. But a lot of our ministry opportunities um, through like different things, they got canceled. And um, I think that, <laughs> sorry, that God really just used that to like um, teach me that I need to be ministering here instead of going to another country to do that. Because um, we were talking to one of our girls that was helping us translate, and she was telling us how her husband, he had spread the gospel to several different people just by riding the buses and talking to them in Costa Rica. And that really hit me that, like, I don't have to travel thousands of miles to share the gospel, and I can just do it here in E-Town by, like, going to the park or even riding buses and just talking to them. And so I learned by going over to Costa Rica that I don't have to travel all the way over there. I mean, that was good, but I can do the same thing right here and make a difference in many people's lives right where I am in E-Town. Um, Daniel, who was our missionary leader, he took us to this overlook of Costa Rica, and it was just beautiful. You could see the mountains and everything, and he asked us this question. He was like, so what do you see? And we're just like, God's creation and its beauty, and he's like, no, what do you see? And we're, we were all confused. And he's like, look at all these people. They're going to hell. And that just really hit me. And I was like, that's what I should look at. Like, you go to Burger King, you, like, have this rude American, like, attitude. And you're just like, give me my stuff. Let me go. And just coming back here and investing in people's lives and making that impact and showing God's love to them. Um, I learned this week that... Uh, as Dana said, we didn't always know what was going on because some of our stuff got canceled, some of it got moved. And so God really challenged us um, with letting him be in control. And I learned to put my trust in God this week, and I want to continue doing that and let him be in control. And it's sometimes really hard to do, so I have to keep working at it, but that's what I learned this week. Um, so like everyone else said, all of our stuff that we're planning on doing, we didn't end up doing, and... It really sort of, you wonder, you know, you put all this planning in and, you know, why didn't it work right? But it really uh, really reminds you that we have our own plans, but God has his plans. And it's not what we want, it's what he wants. And even through uh, him changing, you know, our plans, it's, it's for the best. And even though we don't necessarily see it at the beginning, he has a plan for it, so... What really hit me this week was that our translator, Daniel Rojas, told us to be real and that we need to put other people's needs before ours and that we're not always the most important thing. Okay, um, for me, I kind of came into the strip expecting to learn a lot. I was the only student who, um, out of this group who went to Dominican Republic before. And on that trip, 
God like really clearly, vividly told me that um, he wants me to be a teacher and not only here, but like overseas and missions work and stuff like that. And so I came on this trip expecting that God's going to give me another step of the plan or tell me what's next and just kind of reveal more of my future. And that didn't happen. And it was cool because, as we've all said, when we would ask Dana a question, she'd say, I don't know. And when I think about that, um, and like living as a Christian, we don't know what God has planned for us all the time. Uh, but we just need to follow him day by day and take one step at a time. And his plan is going to be so much better than ours. And I can try and think of how my life's going to look like. But when I just let God be in complete control, it's going to turn out way better than I could ever imagine. And uh, as the team kind of uh, mentioned, uh, it's been an interesting week. And it kind of continues here this morning of things not going exactly the way that we uh, thought they were going to. Um, I know our girls had a desire, and we communicated that early on, that we wanted to go and do some uh, orphanage ministry, and God closed the door on that. Uh, we went uh, to the Indian Reservation and, uh, and got to help uh, build an, an outdoor uh, kitchen for them, because that's where they sold meals every day to raise money for their church, and, and we got to do that, and, and when we finished that up that evening, we were going to have a, a service in their church, and and get to share our ministry with them. And that's when uh, the, the, the heavens opened up and it poured down raining. And it rained and rained and rained and it knocked out the power. And we are in, as you could see, that, that, uh, uh, that pretty big hut there right along the river. And the river is rising and it is raining and raining and raining. And, and, uh, and the cool thing, like they said, was in the, in the midst of that rain in the darkness, we had a battery-operated a uh, little little boombox, and we got out an iPod, and uh, and and we 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 huddled around in the darkness, and sang, uh, and just to hear uh, uh, them raise their voices to God and praise God, and 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 I think some of them were were a little scared. It was dark. It was thundering and lightning, and and uh, our translator said, "Hey, pack your stuff because it's raining hard. If the river comes up and toward the house, we're going to have to get out of here." And, uh, and it stopped raining, and the next morning we were planning on, on uh, going to the Indian Reservation before we left and, and do a, a big program at the school, and the next morning we woke up and we saw the river, and the river had, had swelled, and it was moving pretty fast. And the morning before, all the, uh, all the Costa Ricans were on their dugout canoes going back and forth doing their normal thing, and this morning there was none. And... Uh, and I had to make a tough call that morning. Scott and Dan and I talked, and we just didn't feel comfortable going on the river, a 45-minute ride in this swelling, fast-moving river. And, and, and as much as it crushed us not to go and not to minister there, I don't know why God closed that door. Uh, you know, that evening, Scott shared with, I think, Dana and I at least, uh, you know, that, that he was reading through, this is the first time he's read through Acts and Paul's missionary journey on a missions trip. And he said, you know, Paul experienced the same kind of thing. God closed doors for him. And there's some reason for that. And, and, and while we did have ministry opportunity, uh, you know, he closed some of those ministry opportunities. And we don't know why, but we know that he's in control. And, and we did our best with the opportunities that we had. And, and, and not only, you know, did, you know, in those ministry opportunities, but I saw God minister uh, uh, to, to these students' lives in, in a big way. And, and, and one of the things that we want to do for you is we want to show just kind of one of the things that we, uh, that, that we do when we go on trips is we do a stick song. And uh, we're going to do a stick song today in Spanish. 
and, and some of our ladies worked hard at putting this together. And uh, you want to explain a little bit about the song? Okay. Um, yeah, the song that we're going to do in Spanish is Poderoso. It's stronger in English. Uh, it's a song that we sing in church that you should be familiar with, but it's a song that we've put to motions in Spanish and, and would like to do for you this morning. As the team takes the stools down, just wanted to share just a few other thoughts from our trip uh, before we close our uh, service. Um, I bought this book before I went on our trip because I thought it looked like a good book to read um, while I'm gone. It's called Dispatches from the Front, Stories of the Gospel Advance in the World's Most Difficult Places. And it's a story about a, um, a missionary recruiter that has traveled the world and seen God work in amazing ways, in some of the toughest places um, in the world. And uh, as I was flying down on the plane, I came across a passage that I just wanted to read with you and kind of tie it into some of the things that I saw this week. But uh, it's, it's a story from, uh, from Russia. And uh, it's a story about a man named uh, Tahir. Tahir is a converted uh, Tartar Muslim who was raised in Takashkent, Uzbekistan. And as a young man, he was led to Christ through the example and witness of believers in Latvia. His heart is for winning his people, Muslims, to Christ. In his words, you must reach Muslims with the language of love. Then with a quick smile, he added, even a dog responds to that language. And Muslims are responding to the love of Jesus Christ as demonstrated through this quiet, courageous evangelist. Tahir has already planted two churches in the Kaza region and which are now pastored by men he won to Christ and discipled. He is now planning a third church. However, like the Apostle Paul, a wide door for effective work has opened to Tahir, but there are many adversaries. He has received violent threats from Muslims and the Russian Orthodox leaders, and now the KGB has given him orders to leave Kazan within the month. He has already moved his family, his wife, and four children, and we'll, and we'll soon join them. For now, he's trying to shepherd this little flock and discern what to do next. Tahir is brokenhearted over being torn from his people, yet I don't think this is the end. Uh, the KGB and, and, and many think they are through with Tahir, but God isn't through with him. There's one thing that Tahir said to me tonight that sticks in my mind and heart like a thorn of truth. Comparing the response to the gospel by Muslims he has reached with the indifference and fear of Christians to speak of his Savior's love, he said this, this world is more willing to receive the gospel than Christians are willing to give the gospel. And I read that on the plane ride down. And I read about me. Because I'm probably one of those Christians the world is more willing to receive the gospel than Christians are willing to give the gospel. And that story challenged me. This week, uh, Dane and I had the opportunity to connect with a student that we had at our last church from 6th to 10th grade, and she was in Costa Rica studying uh, language to be a missionary in Panama. And uh, we connected with her on Facebook, and the last night we were there, she came over to uh, to the house where we were staying, and we got to catch up with her, and she shared her story uh, with us. Uh, grew up, she was adopted from, uh, from, from Colombia uh, into a Christian family, a doctor, 
who loved her and were great, her, this, this dad and mom were great parents to her. And she went to Christian school. She went to a Christian college and she was just going through the motions. And she shared with our team that night that after she graduated, um, her life was empty and because and, and she wasn't following Christ. And she said she got wrapped up in drug and alcohol abuse. And two years ago, she hit rock bottom. And she decided that she was going to move back to Pittsburgh and volunteer for, uh, uh, for an organization that ministers to prisoners. And, then, and through that ministry, she realized that she was the prisoner. She was the prisoner to sin. And she, she didn't know this ministry was a Christian uh, ministry that went into the prison to work with prisoners. She thought she'd just go with prisoners. And, and, and she realized she was the prisoner, and she rededicated her life to Christ. And two years later, she is in Costa Rica learning a language ready to go to Panama. Uh, she raised her support in a, in a whirlwind two months to get there. And she is excited to go and minister. She realized that all this world had to offer, and, and she struggled with it, you know, pales in comparison to what Christ has to offer. That Christ was enough for her, and now she's going to give her life to go and serve her Savior. And we were just blown away. We, we had known that she was in a little bit of rebellion, but we didn't know the, the extent of the rebellion and how God called her from that and renewed her passion to live and serve for him. And it was so great for our team to hear her story of how she just went through the motions in Christian school and at college, and finally God got a hold of her life, and she said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And then we met uh, in one of our teammates, uh, uh, name was Michael. He was uh, one of our translators and got to spend a lot of time with Michael over this, uh, uh, this, this, this week. And he shared his story that night. And he shared that uh, he grew up in a home where his mom knew about God but didn't know Jesus. And, uh, and one day his family was riding the bus and, and as uh, I think Sarah said, uh, Bruno got on the bus and started sharing Christ with the people on the bus and sharing it with his family and, uh, and, and, his, and telling them about Christ and telling them about um, his church and inviting them to come to church. And Bruno and, and, and Michael was, was, had nothing, no interest in God. He was, again, wrapped up in drug and alcoholism and, and didn't want to go. And he had a sister who heard and wanted to go to youth group. And his mom said, you know what? Well, she can't go alone. You need to go with her. And that night she went to the, to, they went to youth group and they shared the gospel and he responded to the gospel and gave his life to Christ. And as I talked to Michael one morning as we were walking, I just was asking him just about, you know, what does he want to do with his life? And, and tell me a little more of his story. And he shared with me that, uh, you know, that, that he has a desire to, to grow closer to Christ and he wants to work on, on putting sermons together, that he's in a church where he doesn't feel like he's, he, he's being encouraged to grow and so he's gonna grow on his own. And I asked him, well, what do you wanna do? He said, I think I wanna be a missionary to Africa. And I'm like, wow. Here, here is a guy that as we look at him as Americans, we would say, you know, man, he, he hardly has anything and, and, and struggles to get by and, and, and yet he wants to give his life to serve Christ. That Christ is enough. It's not about what he has or what he doesn't have, but it's about wanting to, to, to honor his life. And, and that night in tears as he shared his story and we shared our testimonies and over and over again, our, our team shared about having the privilege of growing up in a Christian home 
You know, in tears, he said, you know, I didn't have the privilege to grow up in a Christian home. And with tears streaming down his face, he said, I wasted a lot of years living my life for me. And I don't want to do that anymore. And it was there, and in these stories, it, it just really hit me that, that Christ is enough. It doesn't matter what difficulties we face. It doesn't matter what, uh, what things you know, we think we need, or, 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 but Christ is enough. And I was writing a, a few things down, and, and um, you know, I was just thinking of some thoughts as I was thinking about this, but you know, when, when we are in need, Christ is enough, isn't he? I mean, we're in the middle of the jungle. It's pouring down raining, and we're not sure what's happening. There's no power, and and, uh, you know, and, and at that moment, you know, Christ is enough. You know, you know we, are, we are praying to him and we are seeking him and we are asking him to help us because he's all we have. He's enough. But then I wrote down, but, you know, but when we have plenty, is Christ enough? When we have plenty, is Christ enough? Or is it Christ and our stuff is enough? You see, uh, you know, Paul in Philippians 4 talks about he learned to be content in every circumstance. And, and, you know, and he was talking about being content. And, and, and I think the reason why Paul was content, whether in, in plenty or in need, is because Christ was enough for him. That he was committed to following him. That he was committed to no matter where Christ put him and no matter what door opened and what door closed, and he experienced that like we did this week. Christ was enough. That he was focused on him and he was focused on living for him. So as I think about this week and, and just wanted to share with you this morning, I was challenged, is Christ enough? Does my contentment come from my relationship with him? Or am I only content when he provides the things that I think I need or want in my life? And as I think about it, you know, and if Christ is truly enough and I am truly content in him, then I need to courageously look for opportunities to tell others about him. I'd highly recommend this book, Dispatches from the Front. It is an amazing collection of stories of people in difficult places, making much of Christ in difficult circumstances. And he is enough for them. And as I come back to the comfort of my own home, and the comfort of my own bed, and as I look around at all the things in my life, do they just really distract me? Am I living for them or am I living for him? Is Christ enough for me? And is Christ enough for you? We shared a lot of things today about opportunities. The, the team that went to Angola, you know, we're, we're looking for, to provide some more opportunities for our people to get on the missions field. And, and my encouragement to all of you is to, to make the most of those opportunities. To, if you've never had an experience like this, it's a great experience, but, but I, the thing that, that I was challenged with as we came back is, you know, we come, we've come back from the Costa Rica, but our mission trip isn't over. Locations just changed. 
And somehow, as crazy as this sounds, it's so easy to go a thousand miles away to a place where you don't know anybody in a culture you don't know in a language you don't know and, and gear up to, to be in ministry for Christ. But when we come back to a place where we're familiar with, where we know people, where we have relationships built, then it gets tough. And so this week as we go and as we go to work, as we interact with our neighbors, as we have even time tonight to invest and invite in people, is Christ enough? Are we going to boldly take opportunities to be courageous and share him with others? I'm so thankful for the stories in this book and the stories of the people that I met this week because they challenged me. They challenged me that, you know, at times Christ isn't enough, that he's not my focus, and he needs to be. And I need to live for him. And I need to look for opportunities to live for him. And not just on a trip in a foreign country, but here every day. So we're going to close our service today, and we're going to close it with the song, Christ is Enough. And we've sang this song before, and, and, and uh, it's a song that you're familiar with. And, and it's easy, like I said, it's a song I love, and it's easy for me to, to sit and sing along. And, and, and I was listening one morning as I was laying in bed on, on, my, on, my, on my iPhone, and, 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 and it really hit me. It's easy to sing these words, but it's harder to live it out. And as we close this morning, this is my prayer for our team. It's my prayer for our church uh, that, that, uh, that we have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. The world behind us, the cross before us, and we're going to follow Jesus. Christ is enough. Join me in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship you. Thank you that... We have the opportunity to be a part of your family through Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we've talked this morning and shared this morning, there are those in prisons in this country, there are those in countries around the world, and there are those right here in Elizabethtown that are still imprisoned by their sin in need of a Savior. And Lord, I pray this morning that as we've sat here and heard reports that you have encouraged us all and challenged us all that, that we're all your missionaries. And wherever you take us this week, that's our trip for this week. And you're going to provide opportunities. And Lord, as we sang, you are enough and, and everything uh, we need, you, you give us. And Lord, pray that you would give us the courage to make much of you this week. Pray that you would give us the boldness to share your gospel with those who need to hear it, Lord. And we are so thankful that your gospel is powerful and it's changing lives all over this country and all over this world. And thank you for giving us the privilege to be part of that work. And this week, as we walk out these doors, help us to look for opportunities to partner in your ministry and sharing the gospel with those who need to hear it. the cross before us, the world behind us. Lord, it's our desire, it's our heart's prayer that we will follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this week. Thank you for giving to all these trips and praying for these trips. You were a part of them. And for that, we just want to say thank you. Have a great week this week.